Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right, over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs, also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. I'm Hannah Dunleavy, and I want to talk about booze. Alcohol has played a huge role in my life and is responsible for some of its highs and a lot of its lows. I'm interested in what role it plays in other people's lives and how things like age, race, class, sex, religion, geography, profession, health conditions, family history, good old-fashioned trial and error affect what they drink and why they drink it. I'm not here to preach to anyone. I'm certainly in no position to do that. I'm just looking for a better understanding of alcohol's role in Britain in 2019. This is The Drink. Please listen responsibly. Hello and welcome to episode four of The Drink. My January continues to be a little bit wet, as the upcoming episode will demonstrate. But if you are doing dry January, and I have spoken to quite a few people that are, keep at it. I'm sure you are doing yourself some good. If you want to tell me what some of that good is, that would be interesting. Do you feel better? Are you sleeping better? Are you saving money? Have you lost some weight? Is it helping you giving up smoking? Yeah, I'd like to hear from you if you were doing it and it didn't work. Maybe don't beat yourself up about it. Anyway, I've been out for a couple of drinks this week and they've been almost all cups of tea. I met up with one of the drunk women solving crime, Taylor Glenn. I went to see parenting author Sam Avery and I had a nice cup of tea with Evelyn Mock. So all of those things will be coming up. Remember, if you want to chat to me, I am at The Drink Podcast or I am on Facebook where I am The Drink Podcast. Until next week. Hi. I am here in my house, which is the best drinking location in that that's where my bed is, with comedian Lou Comran. Hello, hi. We are drinking gin and tonic because Lou sent me a list of things that she would drink. Everything. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) And in the Venn diagram with what I had in my house was this bottle of Gordon's with a spot of elderflower. Oh, is that what it is? been in my house so long I actually Googled yesterday, does gin go off? Oh, I don't think it does, does it? It doesn't, no. I'd still drink it anyway. Yeah. <laughs> well, Cheers. I Cheers. Ooh. I don't know what would happen if it went off, Ooh. to be honest. Whether you wouldn't get pissed or, you know, you'd end up having a really I can't believe food. you've had it that long in your house. I, it, I, it wouldn't last that long in mine. I don't drink on my own. And no, I don't no, really know do any I. gin drinkers. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> you live with somebody else, don't you? I do, yeah. So it's probably easier to have a drink of an evening with someone else. Well, actually, I'm normally out in the... She works during the day and I'm out in the evening. So the very rare occasions that we do drink together, 
we make the most of it. So, so what is your usual? Well, Ruth and I like a sherry. Ruth is who I'm staying Really? Yeah, we love a sherry. Are but, you going to grow old together? Yeah, well, she's, mm, she's bloody well got a boyfriend now, hasn't she? So they're planning on moving in together. So that's, oh, well done. Sherry is a very underrated drink. Do you know, I don't know that I've ever drunk it. What? I should have I should have bought some, shouldn't I? If that was, yeah. Oh, bollocks. I should have, well, I like a gin and tonic. That's it. If I'm going out to the pub or whatever, if it's, a, it's normally a gin and tonic or a red wine, which we, funnily enough, have half a bottle of red we wine. We do. Mm. It's called Healy and, I thought, gravy, but it's actually Healy and grey. It's actually shit wine from a gig in Liverpool that's now closed. But every every gig that you did there, they'd give you a bottle of wine at the end of the night. So that's gig booze. So it's cheap and... Free booze. Free booze. Nice. Well, it's not really, is it? But it's free. So there you go. <laughs> Actually, yeah, right. I was being so, polite. It, it wasn't great. But yeah. but that that doesn't mean we won't drink it later. Oh, we bloody well will. Yeah. Yeah, you don't have a vast collection of booze, though, do you? Well, I have actually recently started to give some away because I had so much whiskey that it was becoming a joke. I I've gave never some. really been a huge whiskey. Uh, I tell a lie. No, I know. I, just before Christmas, I went to a friend's house and uh, for her birthday, her birthday's on the 30th of December, and me and her husband stayed up one night drinking a bottle of whiskey, and she went to bed, and I don't remember her going to bed, and I also don't remember me and Julian making balloon animals and balloon flowers. I don't remember any of that until the next morning when I came down, and there was just this kind of display Did they all just look like cock and balls? Yes, most of them did, yeah, yeah. But if you turn them upside down, they look like tulips. (laughs) Very creative for the children. So do you do much drinking out or are your pub days done? I used to be a right old pubber. When I moved to Manchester, I think it was about, how old was I when I moved to Manchester? I was about 30-ish when I moved to Manchester and I never went to university. So that's when I think I had my university days because I was out every night in the pub with my mate Delan and we used to go to work and after work every night we went to the pub and we shitted and I spent two years pretty much pissed every night and I dread to think how much money I spent in those two years but that I consider those my university days but now because I'm gigging most of the time I don't go out to the pub that much so just uh, before Christmas I think I had a a few Saturdays off before the before the Christmas gig rush and I was like oh my god I'm out on a Saturday night what do you what do normal people do and I can't just have one drink I'm not very good at having one drink I can't if I have one that's me done I will then I'm on it so on the on the rare occasions that I do go out now I'll binge, I suppose. I'll have a binge drinky night and I'm more or less always sick the next day. Be ready for that tomorrow. Well, we can do it together. We'll have to produce a timetable because, right, yeah, I, okay. I, that, that is me. Yeah, too. I, can't t- I can't take... I've never been able to take my booze. I don't know who I'm kidding. There was one day um, in those two years when I first moved to Manchester that I'd we'd been out on a particularly heavy night and I was temping in this company in Manchester Science Park and I vomited up practically half a bacon sandwich up the side of a disabled toilet wall and then had to go back to my desk and pretend that nothing had happened and that's that's awful isn't it I worked at Granada Telly as well 
and I'd come in every morning and have a bacon and egg sandwich, mostly because a woman that I worked next to was a real twat and hated the smell of egg. So it used to give me great great pleasure in getting a bacon and egg sandwich and eating it next to her. But there was a, a bloke that worked there and he said, what are you running away from? You come in every morning with a hangover. What are you running away from? And that was the point where I thought, oh, oh dear, have I got a problem? And then I thought, no, I haven't got a problem. I'm just making up for lost time, yeah. aren't I? Were you gigging at that point? I'd started comedy in 2005, so... I had perhaps just started comedy. At that point, it wasn't a career option. It was just a hobby. So I was probably drinking a bit at gigs and things. But I think that's when the gigs started getting more frequent that I kind of, the drinking stopped. So in a way, comedy more or less stopped me drinking. But that was still back in the time where people thought that drinking and comedy went hand in hand. If you were a comedian, you drank on stage. But I, I'd only ever done a few gigs where I'd been drunk and they were disastrous. I did one. The first time I did comedy, I was a bit pissed because I, that was Dutch courage. But I did one where I was absolutely paralytic. I was with uh, Rich Wilson. Oh, yeah. Uh, Jim Smallman, who doesn't drink. Um, I was doing a gig in Cambridge, which is rare, really rare for me to get a gig in my own city. Mm. And a famous comedian uh, didn't turn up. Mm for his headline spot and it was my birthday it was my 33rd birthday and I had lots of friends had come to see me and the point was I was supposed to do my 15 minute spot in the middle and then we were going to go out and get pissed because it was my birthday I'd said it was my birthday on stage so when I came off stage yeah loads of people in the audience bought me a drink Mm. and I was like well that's great so I'm nicely hammered, ready to go off yeah. on my birthday thing. And Jim Smallman called me over and said that the headliner hadn't turned up and the woman that was running the night wondered if we all had 10 more minutes in it, we could split the £300 that she was going to pay him. Oh, yes, please. And so I said, I am very, very drunk. And Jim said, Hannah, I think it will be hilarious. And I went and did 10 minutes so unbelievably drunk. And afterwards... I was like, what did I even do? Because I don't know how, how much material I had. And my friends were were, were um, kind. So that's the only gig I've ever done, paralytic. I got off stage and I went straight to the toilet and was sick because oh, I was pretty drunk. But yeah. I'd been on a, when I was working at Granada, it was Christmas and we'd had our works Christmas due. And I'd been booked in to do an open spot at a gig in Manchester. And um, the promoter guy was a twat because I said oh it's our works Christmas due could I move the gig and swap my spot for a different date because it's my works due and he said no and me being me went oh okay so I left my Christmas due where I'd been drinking solidly went to do the gig hammered and nearly got my fanny out on stage Mm -hmm. and that was the point where I thought you cannot ever do comedy again drunk or have a drink because who wants to see your fanny on stage? Because <laughs> that's not funny, is it? <laughs> actually, that's a gash out, isn't it? That nobody. <laughs> actually, oddly though, I kind, I kind of, it probably wouldn't have been funny at the time. That would have given that audience, a, at the very least, an anecdote to dine out on for a long time. I think. Yeah, but well, you say that the guy that I had pinpointed <laughs> to, <laughs> to flash it at 
was an elderly gentleman <laughs> who was with his entire family. And his wife's face was like, this is horrific. His daughter was mortified and the son was the only person in that family that was quite enthused by the whole thing because I was wearing a very tight cocktail dress and I didn't have any underwear on because otherwise you'd have seen it under the dress. But fortunately, I didn't, you know, reveal the burger. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, that was... Uh, after that, I was like, right, the, you can't ever do this again. So it's very rare that I drink when I'm working now. Well, you have to drive, presumably, yeah, a lot yeah, of the time I'm, as yeah, well. Yeah, yeah. I can't be responsible for myself when I've had a drink at the best of times, let alone when I'm on stage with the adrenaline and the booze as well. Yeah. So, yeah, that, that's not a good... That's not a good mix for me, no. In the list of things you sent me, mm. uh, one of them was cocktails. Now, I mean, I've cut a bit of lemon up and put it in our drink. Yeah, oh, you flash bit. I know, but cocktails is a bit far for me. Are you? Uh, did you make them, or is that literally a when you're out, you have a cocktail? Right. Okay. So I have to be careful with cocktails. <laughs> I have to be careful don't with we, all booze. Don't we all? Because when I was at uh, my drama school graduation, me and my mate Becky Big Baps had got ready throughout the day. We went to drama school in Oxford. And the graduation was in a posh bar in Jericho. You do you know? Jer- yeah. Yeah. And we got to the do, and all I'd had to eat the entire day was a small jacket potato, and I'd had cocktail after cocktail after cocktail. And there was a bloke at drama school who happened to be my best mate while I was there, who I was massively in love with, who had got engaged to another girl in our class. He wasn't at the graduation because he was then on tour in Barnum. But his fiancée was there after, I don't know, it was probably about eight or nine very strong cocktails. And bearing in mind I was about 20... 21, I think, and couldn't take my booze. I was in the middle of a conversation with his fiancée, probably as about as close as I am to you now. And in the middle of a conversation without any warning... I projectile vomited in her face. <laughs> like, um, it came out like Aslan's roar. Like, <laughs> and it came out like literally at a 90 degree angle into her face. Oh, and she had really long blonde hair. And she just kind of scooped the, the sick from her eyes. <laughs> And she was ever so sweet about it. She was ever so posh. And she just said, oh, I think we'd better get you to a toilet. And so she guided me to the toilet. And ever since then, my relationship with cocktails has, as you can imagine, been dubious, really. So I do like a cocktail, but I have to limit myself because they're so fruity and delicious and yeah, sweet that you don't even realise the booze in it. And I was had alcohol poisoning for about three days afterwards after that. I do like a cocktail, but I have to limit myself. My, uh, fact, my I've got a massive family, so my dad is like the oldest one of eight, and we used to do regular family do's. And my dad in the 90s went through a stage of making his own cocktail, so we'd have a family do. And every cocktail my dad made was always blue. And we never knew what was in it, but it had that blue curacao. How do you say it? Curacao. Yeah, curacao in it. He used to put that in everything. So every cocktail that my dad ever made was always blue and tasted of shit. (laughs) But you just drank it, didn't you? So I, I like a cocktail, but I have to kind of limit it to just one or two. They are fatal. I I can remember. I was was in New York. I went with my mum, 
my aunt and my cousin to New York. 2002, in fact. In fact, we went on September the 11th, 2002. And wondered why security was so mm. enormous at the airport. And they had wanted to go and see Chicago. Mm. And I didn't fancy it. And I found, because I'm a pretentious twat, I found an off-Broadway show that had Edie Falco from The Sopranos mm. and Stanley Tucci oh, in wow. it. And it was Frankie and Benny. Mm. No, that's not what no, it's called. No, that's a, that's, a, Frank- that's a food chain, Hannah. That's <laughs> a food chain. Frankie and Johnny. Is, Is it that what it's called? Frankie. It's the film that... It, it was made into a film with Al Pacino and Michelle Pfeiffer. Yeah. Yeah, yeah he's yeah, a yeah, chef yeah. and she's a waitress. Yeah. right? And my mum wanted to go to Chicago, but she can be, you know... I'll come with you. And I was like, it's fine. You don't have to come with me. You can go and see Chicago and have fun. And I will go and see this lady. They were basically butt naked the whole way through. I could draw a picture of Stanley Tucci's cock from memory. Ooh. <laughs> so that my mum was a bit, what are we watching? What is this you brought me <laughs> It's just to? a man with his dick out, yeah. <laughs> And I think because maybe, maybe because they were really cold. <laughs> that they oh, decided, yeah, a small it was one. a really no, it was a really oh. short play. Oh, is that what we're calling they were free, it? They were literally freezing their balls off. Whereas Chicago's really long, mm. so we were like, we've got like three quarters of an hour to kill before they come out. So we we find some bar, and I get talked into by the barman having a cocktail. I don't want one, and I was like, I just want beer or something. He was like, no, 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 have a have a cocktail, right? So I decide to have a Long Island iced oh tea. God. And I'm like, this is the greatest thing that's ever happened yeah. to me. And so I'm like, oh, I'll have another one of those. And I think we had a third one. My cousin and my aunt walk into the bar and I jump down off the stool and the entire bottom half <gasps> of my body is just like, <laughs> my brain had taken a while to catch up. And when I sat and thought, fuck, <clears> I just <throat> necked about, yeah. I don't know. Probably nine shots in in, yeah. in such a small amount of time, but because it tastes so glorious, yeah, you, you don't, don't realize, think about do it. I think we calculated the the Aslan night. I think we calculated that I because all of the cocktails I'd had were were, tri- were there were triple shots of whatever in every cocktail, and I'd had over thirty shots just on one jacket potato. <laughs> And my mate Becky was furious at me because she'd had to leave the party. She was having a lovely time and she had to take me back to wherever it was we were staying. She'd sent me upstairs to go and clean myself up and she'd fucked off somewhere and then she'd come back and gone back to the bedroom to expect to find me in a coma in the bed. But all she found was all of my clothes all over the floor, my underwear just discarded in the hallway. And she thought... Oh fuck! She's she's naked, wandering around this house. She's been taken up. <laughs> yeah, she's she's naked in this house that we don't really know whose house it. Well, there was we knew one person in the house, and she just had this image of me walking around with no clothes on. But as it was, because I'd vomited so much, I felt like quite perky. <laughs> and she found me in the kitchen talking to this guy, and I was in my pajamas, eating toast and marmite, having quite a compassmentous conversation with this guy, and she was absolutely furious at me and she was like, I thought you were supposed to be ill I th- oh, God I had all these images of you you ruined my night but I felt fine at that point and then as I said I woke up the next morning and then for three days afterwards I have that was probably the illest I've ever been from booze and uh, and yet it didn't stop me that should have been the point where I'd gone right Lou you're incapable of drinking and you should never have another cocktail ever again 
but you just don't, do you? You just go, oh, well, I won't let, I won't learn from that. Yeah, if there was a food that mm. did to me what booze does mm. to me, I would have learned by now to stop eating it. If every third time I had a bag of crisps, yeah. I was ill for 24 yeah. hours, you'd you just, just give up crisps, it, would you? wouldn't you? No, I went on a date once with this ooh, lovely man. I lived in London at the time and he took us to, I don't know whether it's still there, the Long Island Iced Tea Bar, which is in Piccad- was in Piccadilly. I don't Let's know. go. Yeah, let's get let's the go now. <laughs> and uh, and it was amazing. And I I was trying to you know he was really really sexy. So I was trying to be all cool about it. I was still quite young. I was at the bar. We were sat on the bar stool like, and he was like, "What do you want?" And I was like, "Yeah, I'll have a uh, strawberry dakaris, please." <laughs> and uh, the guy was like, "What? Sorry." I was like, "Yeah, yeah, I'll have a uh, yeah, strawberry dakaris." Trying to be all cool. I'm thinking. God, this guy really fancies me. <laughs> it was a daiquiri. Uh, but I, I'd read it wrong. I can't try to, it was just totally Del Boy. Like, yeah. I'll have a Takaris, please. I once had uh, once had a party in my house. My sister lives in Brazil, so I'd bought home a cachaça, um, like really strong cachaça. Like that you make, I don't know what that is. Oh, you make a caipirinha with it. It's like sugar. I don't know what that is either. Oh, ooh, it's delicious. It's uh, like a sugar cane like a rum thing but pure cachaça I'd made like my own jug of caipirina and um I had drunk the entire jug at my party and I was put to bed at my own party at 10 o'clock in the evening and missed everything and I woke up the next morning well no I didn't wake up the next morning I woke up at four o'clock the next afternoon and I got up and I'd had 18 missed calls from some bloke that I'd pinned against a wall and stuck <laughs> my tongue down his throat. Loads of text messages from my friends going, are you okay? Which whenever you get that message after a night out, it's always, oh, all right, what what did I do? What did I do? What did I say? Yeah. yeah. And then I, I got up at four, four o'clock in the afternoon and whoever had been in the house had cleaned and tidied and there was no evidence of a party whatsoever. And I had to have a real word with myself thinking, oh dear, I don't think booze is for me really, is it? Still, it's not stopped me though, Hannah. (laughs) Funny you should say that because in my intro to the last podcast that I did, I don't know what order these are going out in, I mentioned that you and I were having a drink and I mentioned that the last time we'd been drunk together, (laughs) I had gone to sleep in a house that was literally bottles everywhere vomit up the walls and when I woke up the house was tidy and you had done it you and the lovely Susan Hanks had tidied oh! that whole house and there were about 20 very drunk people in an Airbnb yeah and you sorted it out do you know why probably because other people have done it for me in the past okay fuck that means I need to do it for somebody yes. else now right I'm going to vomit got... all around your living room and you're going to have to clean your own house <laughs> I'm going to pass that on <laughs> yeah. she says pouring more gin yeah, my my mum is a Ooh. massive tidier we were at a party once and uh, my mum did so much tidying at this party and washing up and clearing away beer cans and emptying ashtrays that this incredibly posh woman came up to the end of the night and said do you have a card at all and my mum said 
no, no. <laughs> and she said, I just, I just thought you'd done such a good job here that I wondered if I could hire you. Oh my God. And I was like, <laughs> my mum was like, no, I'm a, I'm a guest. I'm not the cleaner. I I'm always just, feel obliged I'm just the person to do that, who tidies though. up. I always think in a past life, I'd have been downstairs. I'd have been scurrying. Oh yeah, definitely. Have, my automatic default is to start cleaning up yeah. things. I, I'm never the one that lets other people do it. I'm always the, oh, we should really start cleaning up now. That's always me. That's always my... But that maybe that's just my self-esteem going, oh, yes, I'll, I'll tidy this up for you, Miss Dunleavy. I'll do that for you. Thank you. Now, you say you belong downstairs. You, like I, are from Buckinghamshire, and you, like I, are doing your bit to disabuse people of the idea that Buckinghamshire is in any way posh. Oh, Christ, it's not. It's a shithole in most parts, isn't it? So you grew up in a small town? I grew up in a village called Stoken Church, Junction 5, M40. Very small community and... It had a pub, I'm guessing. Probably Oh, it had eight pubs. One. Yeah. <laughs> and the only bonus about that village was... Well, there was lots of bonuses about it, but there, on Christmas Day... Every pub would give you a free drink. So back in the day, we'd, on occasions, we'd, on Christmas Day, go for a few drinky poos before Christmas dinner. So you could actually be arsehole one Christmas. Oh, we had a lovely time. And my mum was, my mum's not a huge drinker. She'd had a few drinks, but she, I think she was like, no, no, I'm going to leave now because I've got to go and put the turkey <laughs> on. And my mum actually does talk like that. And she'd gone home to put the turkey on me and my dad stayed out and had a few more drinks and then we got home we found my mum really distraught in the kitchen we we're like well, oh my god what's happened what's wrong and she went I can't find the turkey I can't find the turkey and my mum had put the turkey in the cupboard <laughs> thinking it was the oven and we didn't have Christmas dinner that that day until about 11 o'clock at night so, my yeah. dad used to tell a story. He comes from a massive family. He used to tell this story about how my auntie Maureen had done the turkey for Christmas one year and she'd cooked it the night before and left it on the kitchen table to come get up and do the rest in the morning. And all of the, her brothers all went out for a drink on Christmas Eve and came in drunk. And when Maureen got up in the morning... My uncle Kevin, that was just asleep, face down in the carcass <laughs> of the turkey, and they'd basically all gone, "Oh, it's a food!" And like, Chris, Christmas is ruined. Where in but you're Aylesbury, I no, no, I'm where? Newport Pagnell. Newport, yeah, Pagnell, the north, right. whereas you're right down in the south. Aren't yeah, you? yeah, all the posh bits in between where where you and yeah. I. Yeah, now I like where I like particularly like where I come from because you know. Have you watched The Vicar of Dibley? I have. So the opening titles of The Vicar of Dibley is like, it goes up the motorway between those chalky hills. That's the that's where I'm from. Oh, really? Those chalky hills. Junction 5 and 40. <laughs> but next to that is the village of Turville, which is where The Vicar of Dibley was filmed. And I used to Oh, work... that is pretty. Yeah, it's beautiful there. In that village. <laughs> in the village that I'm from. Not so pretty. The pub that's in Turville, the Bull and Butcher... I used to work in there, and directly opposite that pub, there's like it's like in a valley basically, and at the top of that hill, opposite the pub, is the windmill from Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. So yeah. much film history and TV history, and more recently, Killing Eve was filmed in Vicar Dibley. Did you ever watch Killing Eve? I haven't. No. Oh my god, it's amazing! <laughs> but there's like this uh, episode where it's based in like this oh pretty little uh, English village, and that's 
This is so boring, I'm sorry, but I, I was just like... No, it's not, because I wanted to ask your nearest city... God, what was your nearest city? Nearest city is London. London. But the, t- the, the town was High Wycombe. So that's half an hour outside of London. So there wasn't much to do in your village except drink, I suppose, when you were teenagers. No, I didn't go out when I was little or a teenager. My mum was quite strict. So I, me and my mate Kirsty, Kirsty was my mate in the village and we just used to sort of live in each other's pockets, basically. But I never never went out drinking, never, never was very social until I went to drama school. When I, oh, I went to college in Amersham. 16 to 18 but I was even then I never really so when was the first time you were drunk <sighs> probably oh I think I was five <laughs> camping in France and I'd drunk some wine and I had a really bad habit at that time of sleepwalking and I'd stolen wine and I'd wandered out of our tent and just wandered into somebody else's tent in the middle of the night I think that was the first time I was drunk. I remember being steered out of that tent and back into our own tent. Did you pin someone up against the tent wall and try and snug them? Not at that point, no, <laughs> Han, no. And I think then probably the first time I was properly drunk was about 13. Or When I was at, when I went to school, we did continental tie. You start dead early and you finish dead early. So I had a real bad habit at that point. I'd get home at like 2.30 maybe. And I had a habit at that point of just helping myself to the Shinzano in the cupboard. And uh, my dad used to draw a line on the bottle of the Shinzano. But I used to fill it up with water. I used to rub it out and move the line. And because my dad was a fireman in the village, he was a retained fireman. So he wasn't full time. So he had a full time job. But when he came home, he had a little bleep. And that would, if it, if the bleep went off, there was a fire, he had to go to the fire station, whatever. So we'd, we'd always have kind of like fire brigade parties. And there was, I th- think it was about 13 or 14. And me and Christopher Parks uh, sat underneath the dining room table in the kitchen in our house. And we drank a bottle of Shinzano under the table. And I was arsehole. So, yeah, about 13 or 14. I'm not really painting a great picture of myself, am I? <laughs> really? Well, no, I, but I was just wondering how you're. How does it work if you're a retained firefighter? How can you afford to get drunk? As in, by afford, I mean take the chance. Well, I'm going to suggest the emergency services. Back then. <laughs> probably the word emergency. <laughs> probably. Yeah, that stage just anyone would do. Yeah, what they used to do is if you're on call. I don't really know how it worked, really, but if you're on call, as long as there's one person that can drive the fire engine. <laughs> Yeah, there was my dad. We lived next door to a a guy called John, who was also a retained fireman as well. So whenever the bleeps went off, whoever got to the car first would be the driver. But if they'd had a drink or whatever, it was normally John. On those occasions, John would drive, and then my dad would just get in the van, and then they'd just fuck off and go to the station, and then do what they needed to do. But I would suggest quite a few times. They weren't wholly sober, but you know, still they did the job, didn't yeah. they? Yeah, beggars can't be choosers. Exactly. I mean, that, that was back in the eighties and nineties, so times were different then, weren't <laughs> they? I think my dad is a bit like me in respect of when he's at, when he knows he's not doing anything, and when he knows he's allowed to have a drink, he'll bloody well enjoy himself, yeah. and that's not very often. He doesn't drink a lot, but he. Oh, God, I remember... Oh, no. I remember one occasion 
Tuesday nights were fire brigade nights, so they used to do their training on a Tuesday night. And I think my dad had possibly a new recruit or had been in the fire brigade not that that long. And um, he'd obviously been to the pub with them after practice. My bedroom was over the over the front door, and I could hear this kind of sort of crashing about, and my dad trying to get in the front door. And I'd never seen my dad drunk at this point. And then I heard this kind of like tripping over getting in the front door and uh, I heard this kind of crashing noise of him coming up the stairs and then fumbling about in the bedroom. My parents' bedroom was next door to mine. I sort of heard this muffled kind of... (laughs) And then I heard my mum go, No! No! (laughs) No! And then... I heard this kind of like the bedroom door swinging open. My dad flying out of the bedroom and then banging into the banister. And I never used to like sleeping with my door open because I was afraid of the dark. And I remember sort of seeing through the crack in the door, my dad's arse, my dad always slept naked, my dad's arse out on the landing. And then he sort of did a kind of step ball change and tripped (laughs) over and fell down the stairs, <gasps> got out of bed, opened the door to witness my dad cartwheeling naked <laughs> down the stairs. And all I remember is seeing his testicles like massive plum tomatoes <laughs> clacking about while simultaneously he was vomiting. So he went down the first set of stairs, <laughs> vomiting got to the landing, rolled across the landing whilst vomiting. And it was this perfect kind of Catherine wheel of vomit up the wall. And uh, my mum going, no, you idiot, you... And, like, screaming at my dad. And I just have scarred by my dad's testicles (laughs) in my eyes. And then, like, go back to bed, my mum shouting at me. Go back to bed. I went back to bed. But a couple of minutes later, because my bedroom was over not over the front door as well but I could over the toilet downstairs so I could hear my dad vomiting in the toilet and then there was about a minute maybe two minutes and then I heard the hoover going and my mum was hoovering the sick off the wall oh god yeah just like and I came out just to watch my mum in her nighty and I was like, what are you doing, Mum? And she was like, it's easier than cleaning it. <laughs> and so my that's the one and only time I've kind of really... Oh, no, I'm lying. Oh, my God. So Yes, so that was the first time I saw my dad drunk. Then the second time I saw my dad drunk was probably 20-odd years later when my parents had a murder mystery dinner <laughs> and I'd been out for the night and I'd come home and they were all shitted and I was like oh my god this is like turning up at a kind of 80s swingers party (laughs) it was just it was like this is this is awful so I became the parent that night so I made like pots of coffee mum and dad had just had a brand new cream carpet in the living room and I made a cafetiere of coffee I plunged this cafetiere the bottom fell out coffee went everywhere just as my dad fell out of the patio door and did this kind of jazz hands dance routine. I wish people could see what you were doing (laughs) right now. Kind of dance routine across the patio, like on one leg. uh, 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 (laughs) And he bumped into the brick uh, brick barbecue, kind of 
leapfrogged over the barbecue, shitted, <laughs> knocked his head on the wall, gone. <gasps> so I thought, oh my God, my dad's dead. <laughs> so there's coffee all over the floor. They're all shit-faced in the living room and my dad's dead by the barbecue. So I've gone out and my mum doesn't really deal with that sort of situation very well. So she's slapping him and I'm like, get off because he, you know, poor bastard. And he was still alive. God bless Mick. And so we had to pick him up and we had to carry him up the stairs. He's out of it, completely gone. Put him in the recovery position in his in bed. And we had to monitor him all night to make sure he was all right. That's... <laughs> And my dad's the quietest, yeah. cutest man ever. He doesn't say boo to a goose. And there there he was, like, doing a Morecambe and Wise down the patio. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Actually, I love stories of when people tell stories of seeing their parents pissed when, when they are so rare. I mean, God. Mm. I can't tell you the amount of times. I mean, it's preposterous. I couldn't tell you the amount of times I saw my dad pissed, obviously, because he had a problem. Yeah, there's something quite endearing about someone who never gets drunk, seeing yeah. them drunk. My mum told me once the only time she ever saw her dad drunk was at their wedding. And he'd had a couple of glasses of champagne and was off his head because he wasn't a drinker. Oh. And when he went to give his speech, he he, he, he had his glasses on upside down. <laughs> <laughs> that always makes me laugh. <laughs> That's the only time she ever saw him drunk. And the funny thing is, we loved that story when we were little. There's something so, like, innocent. and But he hated that that was... St- yeah, he felt yeah. it put him in a position of weakness because we laughed yeah. at it. Like, we were laughing at him. And you're like, weren't laughing at you, Granddad. It's just a really funny story because oh, it's yeah. something really sweet about it. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. So, you've got an idea for a business. The store of your dreams. There's just one thing to figure out. Everything. That's why Shopify's all-in-one commerce platform makes it easy to sell online, in person, and everywhere else. Sell on social media source products with an app to get that first sale feeling. It's the only solution that gives you everything you need to sell everywhere you want. So when you're ready to bring your idea to life, power it up with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash listen. Tell me what drunk you is like. Awful. Depends what I've been drinking. Do you know? No, that's, that's not true. Well, apparently it's not true as no. well. Apparently all booze has the same effect on you. I'm going to suggest who, it depends on who I am with. Ah, that's interesting. And where I am. Like in this environment, I feel very at home here. Thank you. But it, it does depend on who I'm with and where I am. If I'm not wholly comfortable in my environment, I'm a fucking nightmare. I tend to get pissed quicker if I don't feel comfortable yeah. where I am and, and who I'm with. Yeah. Because then... Drinking is, it becomes like, oh, hey, I've actually got something to mm. do here. I don't really know anyone here. What what do I do? Oh, yeah. I, at least, I, yeah, I get that. The thing is, I, I have regular blackouts from booze, and that's quite worrying when people say, oh, you know, because you told me this, that, and the other. And I, I'll never remember telling my deepest, darkest, darkest secrets to somebody when I'm drunk, or I won't remember my actions, and that's that's always a worry. 
but that's if I'm uncomfortable in whoever's yeah. company. So, uh, having been drunk with you, um, I don't think you come across like that at mm. all. I think you come across. I think as some well. people would disagree. Yeah, <laughs> it's awful, isn't it? When you just, I don't do drugs. I've never done drugs. I, I have smoked the occasional joint, maybe when I was. Technically, that is drugs. I don't do the hard drugs, yeah. but I've smoked joints when I was about 16 or 17. It doesn't really agree with me. But actually, that was something that I was like, oh, that's not for me. I'll never do that again. But with booze, it doesn't feel it doesn't feel like you're doing something naughty, does it? No. It doesn't feel like... I mean, I say, oh, the, the weed didn't really agree with me. I'd love to be able to say that about booze. Booze doesn't agree with me. I'm massively allergic to it, I think. And I vomit every time. But it doesn't stop me. So why doesn't it stop me doing it? Genuinely, I have no answers for you, Lou, because I I am exactly the same. And I'm getting worse. The proportion of times that I vomit on on alcohol is getting higher and higher and higher. And again, like I say, if it was something other than what function booze plays with our society, I can't believe I'd do it. Because like I was saying about, you know, Drinks that taste amazing. I mean, this is, I'm quite enjoying this. Yeah, it's delicious, tonic. I haven't drunk it for ages. I'm, I'm almost sad that the bottle's nearly finished. Well, oh no, we've got a good couple of years. She there. says that, but yeah. <laughs> we've got, we got that, that bottle of teeth clingy wine as but well. If I, if I think about the dangerous situations that I've put myself in because Absolutely. of booze, yeah. Like, you know, I, I, you know, I don't want to harp on about the whole bleh, baby thing, but I got pregnant because of booze. Yeah, well, okay, I, got, I was going to ask you about that. Yeah, that's that that relationship, it wasn't really a relationship, it was just a very short-lived fling. But that was all based on Rioja. So it uh, was that, that, you know, that was just careless abandon and, oh, whoopsie me, I got up the duff because of But that booze. is the life-changing power of booze in that sense, yeah, isn't it? yeah. And I'll tell you, the five and a half months that I was pregnant, obviously I didn't I didn't drink at all in that time. And the sobriety and the clarity of mind that I had in those five and a half months, I don't think I've ever had before. It was, I can't remember a week where I haven't had a drink. So to have five and a half months of not drinking... Possibly six months, because it, after it all happened, I, I don't think I had a drink. Uh, okay, with... well, th- this is this is my next question. I mean, you and I both had a really, really shit 2016. We don't need to go into it now, if you're interested. We've both done an episode of Griefcast. The weird thing is, one of my big fears with the fact that my dad was an alcoholic was that when things went really, really, really bad for us, was that myself... Or, actually, my brother, which was more of a worry, I think, for me, because I think men deal with their feelings differently Mm. than women, that that thing that was latent in us might bubble up. I said that to my brother. It was my biggest fear out of all of that. The only thing that could go worse than what had already gone wrong would be if he started drinking. Mm. And he said, "I I don't want to start drinking at all. But actually, weirdly, when I look back at that sixth month period of horror, I can only think of one occasion in which I got drunk, and that was Mm. my dad's funeral. Partly because I didn't have the fucking time Mm. for drinking. Well, you don't, do you? Because you're too busy doing admin. Uh, Exactly. Yeah. And also partly because, like I say, if I I basically didn't really, wasn't even in my house very much. If I did actually have an evening that was just mine, and I didn't have some other thing to deal with, 
I just went to bed because mm. sleep was the thing that I was actually most mm. deprived of. Mm. How did you find drinking while grieving? Did you do it or did you um, not do it? Oh, that's interesting, isn't it? Because I quite enjoyed the sobriety. Even, I mean, the pregnancy itself was... I had morning, noon and night sickness. So I was pretty rough. So I only started feeling normal probably at the latter four-month, beginning of five-month mark. So I was enjoying feeling well. Yeah. And then when it all went tits up, it would have been very easy for me to plough into the booze. But I actually enjoyed the fact that my body had not had a drink for five and a half months. And I enjoyed the feeling of that obviously I was very very sad and going through the challenges of that but my mental state was if I start getting pissed all the time that's a very easy thing for me to do so you were aware of that yeah 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 yeah. and that clarity I'd never had that clarity of before of knowing my own mind and it was really interesting. It was like, oh, God, all oh, right. Oh, oh, I'm aware of how I feel. <laughs> no, I'm not, like, suggesting that I, I, I'd i been pissed for 30-odd no, years or whatever. But I like a drink, and I don't want to give that up. But in that five and a half months, I was like, oh, right, now I'm, I'm going to have to work out how I genuinely feel about things. So I had to go through the process of how I felt about being pregnant, how I felt about the father, how I felt about losing the baby. And that was all done on sobriety, probably about a week, two weeks after that I had my first drink, maybe. And it didn't, I didn't feel particularly great about it because it just made me feel a bit like, oh, I don't want to, I don't want to lose how I genuinely feel about this and I could have gone to the doctors I could have got antidepressants I could have got whatever but I didn't want to do that because I genuinely wanted to feel how I genuinely felt yeah so I booked myself onto a um a pilates holiday (laughs) okay sorry I don't know why I'm laughing Uh, well you're right to laugh (laughs) because I've never done any bloody pilates before I booked myself onto this holiday and it was in Spain it was at the top of a mountain in the middle of bumfuck nowhere and I hadn't been aware at the time of booking because you're not really aware of whatever you're doing. But I knew I had to just go and have a week in the sunshine and perhaps do a bit of bending, perhaps make me feel better. I knew I didn't want to be where I was. So I put this week away. And when I got there, it was a vegan, non-alcoholic retreat. Because I, in my head, I'd gone, oh, I'll go to Spain, I'll do a bit of bending. I'll have some nice wine. I'll I'll relax and yeah. I'll enjoy myself. But as it was, I was at the top of a mountain. The house that we were in was from the twelfth slash thirteenth century. It was, the house we were in was part of the Knights Templar. Wow. I was just like, "Fuck, this is amazing!" And every morning you'd get up, you were above the clouds. I felt like I was in heaven, <laughs> and uh, that was the most mindful. I had ever I had ever felt even though I was grieving even though when I got on the holiday the day I arrived my first uh sorry guys but my first period had started so I've lost a baby so the first 
period is like pouring pints. So I was losing oh, a really? lot. Yeah, I was losing a lot of blood. My blood sugar was very low because of that. The altitude, I was higher than the fucking clouds. And yet, I was. it was the most mindful I'd ever been in my entire life ever. And if I'd, I think if I'd have had the wine and the booze that I thought I was going to get at that point, I wouldn't have had that powerful... I don't know, it felt like a cleansing, I suppose. Yeah. It was amazing. I don't know how I've gone to this, but it, it was just... No, it's interesting. Yeah, I didn't, because I didn't need the booze at that point. I didn't need it. I needed to just kind of be. I needed to feel what I felt. I needed to kind of work it out for myself. I didn't want to tell anybody what had happened. So it was only a few weeks after. I didn't want to be the woman that had lost the baby. Yeah. I wanted to just be me on this <laughs> vegan non-alcoholic <laughs> retreat Pilates <laughs> you what uh, up this mountain and I, I it's great it's, it's grim but it's I was basically we were doing the Pilates and I was evacuating onto the Pilates mat and it was like it was that bad and uh, this woman I, I tried to go at the back of the class so nobody could see what was happening so I was trying to deal with that. And then this woman who was lovely, a lady called Sarah, took me aside and she said, um, is everything okay? I was like, no, not really. Oh, I've just lost a baby. <laughs> and she was like, all right, come with me. And she had some tenor lady, uh, really thick pads that were like a fucking duvet. And she went, <laughs> please have all of these. So she gave me all of the, her pads and then we sort of bonded over Tenor Lady for the week. She told me all of her life story that she couldn't have kids and she'd had to have a hysterectomy when she was 22. And I don't know, if I'd have if I'd have been pissed on that holiday, I don't think I would have had the conversations that I'd had with well, the women that were there. Well, it's almost as if, if I mean, your, your, your emotions are so on the surface. Your and literally so, out for everybody to see. And so yeah. raw that mm. actually... I mean, what purpose would alcohol have served? Because actually, no, it, oddly, no. that's sort of what alcohol does for us, yeah, is it, it enables us to yeah. display all our emotions yeah. and, and put them all out yeah. there. She was amazing. That that week was amazing. I mean, we, me and her escaped down the mountain on day four, I think, and we went into the village. I went straight to the pub and had a pint of lager. She went straight to the local shop, bought a packet of ham, and we both sort of stood to get... I had the pint. She shoveled in this packet of ham. <laughs> and then we sort of looked at each other and felt really guilty. And we were like, oh, we should go back to class. So then we walked back up the mountain. It, it was it was a real... A real cleansing and a really emotive experience without, without having any tool to yeah. get us there. We just did it ourselves, and it was it was brilliant. I'll never, I don't think I since then. I mean, I know it was only two years ago, but I don't I don't think I've ever had that. It was just all clear. Yeah. Okay, so can I ask when were you safe to go back to alcohol, or even are you safe now to go back to alcohol without risking bringing that stuff up again? Okay. I say that understanding the irony of making you bring it up again whilst getting drunk. But... Oh no, I have a great circle of pals. So they all, came, I think after the holiday, they all came round and uh, we just got shit-faced on Prosecco because that's what you do, isn't it? Yeah, it was, it, my friends are, are my are my strong unit, so they're not going to let me drink myself to oblivion so I upset myself. 
when I was not in a great place, oh, actually, I say not in a great place. I actually was in an okay place, really. It's just loads of shit things had happened to me. Mm. I, I needed to keep on top of it. The only way I could possibly keep on top of it is, like you say, is with a clear head. Mm. I did get obnoxiously, obnoxiously drunk mm. at my dad's funeral, although not until my mum had gone home. My sister had taken my mum home. Almost everybody had gone. There was my brother and two of my cousins, and we were in the bar. My cousin said, let's get, let's get pissed. And, like, we went at it like it was an Olympic sport for about <laughs> two hours. And I was so ill. Like, I mean, you'll get this, as ever. I got home about two o'clock in the morning. I was staying at my mum's house because my mum was undergoing chemotherapy at the time. And I slept on her bathroom floor so I could be near the toilet because I knew I'd be ill. And the next morning I had to go to take her for a chemo appointment. And I was just disgusting. And I went and sat on a ward and I kept having to go and be sick. And in the end, the nurse on the chemo ward bought me a kidney bowl to be sick into while I was sitting watching my mum be poisoned, essentially. And people kept coming past and just like doing that little face at me. And I was like, oh, my God, I'm such a fraud. People think I'm ill. And I'm just... People think it's you. (laughs) Oh, God. (laughs) Which one is it? We don't know. (laughs) Look at that one. She looks near death. (laughs) And afterwards, I came home. I rang my best mate and I told him. And he said to me, it's what he would have (laughs) wanted. I was like, yeah, okay. It's the only time that I got pissed in that period. I think because I was a little bit worried about, you know... Letting the darkness in. Yeah. And and I suppose wallowing or Mm. whatever it is. And also, I think at that point, you know, we were having to operate. It's quite Mm. a tightly packed Mm. unit. And when you get pissed, that's when you start rowing with people. And so when you say that you saw, uh, certainly when you were pregnant, you know, that you saw life without booze. Mm. Can you see life without booze again now? Yeah, I d- I'm supposed to be on dry January now. Oh, sorry. <laughs> so I, d- I, I quite frequently will give it up for a month or whatever, or a month. God, that sounds awful, doesn't it? But it doesn't. If I'm not drinking, if I'm if I'm driving somewhere, if I if I've decided I'm not drinking, then that's absolutely fine. You good with it's, that? Yeah, absolutely fine. But if I have one, that's what I'm saying. I get the taste for it, and I'm like, ooh, <laughs> lovely. So I can't imagine me never, ever drinking ever again because I enjoy it too much. And it's my one vice. Yeah. And I don't drink half as much as what I used to. God, I don't... Yeah, my. I think there was a point where my mum was, like, really worried about my drinking. But as I said, that was, like, me making up for not going to university. I yeah. was just having a right old binge. And I had a bloody lovely time doing it. I do have the odd time off because you need to don't you your body yeah. needs to just go leave it but i don't drink as i said i don't drink as much now because i'm usually i'm working the nights that everybody else is out getting shit-faced i'm i'm normally working so i think i could give it up <clears throat> easier than i could give other things up i went to the doctor recently and i hadn't been to the doctor for such a long time they basically gave me an mot and one of the things they tested me for was cholesterol mm. and i was all ready for that to come back big and I thought, I, I, I cannot see life without cheese. Oh, my God. <laughs> don't get me started on I cheese. Can't, I can't. I, I couldn't. If I don't get a cup of tea in the morning, I can be just that fucks my day up entirely. Mm. You know, if I see something like I'm a celebrity and things like that, where people 
I have to go three weeks without ordinary food. And I mean, I could go three I weeks eating that. beans and rice. I couldn't do it without a cup of tea. So I think actually I could let alcohol go sooner than I could let other things go. I could do that. I'd always say that I'd be, I'd, I, I'd love to do up the jungle or whatever it's called. <laughs> and my mum always calls it the jungle. <laughs> I'd, I'd love to do that. Do you know why? Because it's exactly that. You, it's a purge, isn't it? You're, you can't, you're not allowed on your phone. Fuckwits can't get in touch with you. Um, yes, you might be stuck up the jungle with some idiots, but you deal with that the way you deal with it. But but you having to live on the rations and whatever. Yeah, yeah I know you have to do with the tasks and stuff. But eat balls. Yeah, well, I've had worse in my mouth. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Lou, this has been lovely. We should do this again. And in fact, yes, when we please. press stop, I think we should just carry on doing this. I think we bloody well will. <laughs> 